Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. We've got a great speaker today. Hope you enjoy. As many of you know, he's the founder of Destiny Ministries and oversees the Destiny family of churches, um, which works across Europe and, and India. Um, and there's over a thousand churches in the Destiny family. It was a church I attended called Covenant Life down in Glen Building when I was a student at 18 years old. Um, I used to listen to Andrew's preaching every week, and a lot of things you hear are second hand through. I can still remember a lot of his sayings. The, the best um, the best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible itself, and things like that you've heard me say is uh, from the influence of this man. Yeah, they've been involved in initiatives including Destiny College, Destiny Angels, Andrew's involved in writing, broadcasting, publishing. Some of you have seen him on TBN UK recently, which is amazing and wonderful to see that. And then uh, he's been married to Sue for 35 years now. He deserves a round of applause. Yeah, come on, 35 years. It's going to be longer now. He has five sons. Uh, I was going to ask if any are single. <laughs> we can sort some of them out. And uh, there are no grandparents with, with two grandchildren. It is an absolute wonderful honour and privilege for me. It's been a dream for many years to have Andrew. He's been a great example and role model, perseverance and faithfulness. So without any further delay, let's just give a big Prime Church welcome. <laughs> Good morning, church. Wow, it's fantastic being in Dunfermline this morning. Aaron and I go back a very long way. We started uh, our ministry in Glasgow in 1990. It was called Covenant Life then. And I remember Aaron becoming part of the church with us in Alan Glen's College on Cathedral Street not long after we started. And he made a big mark on me when he came in because unlike all the other students we had, he came willing to serve, willing to get involved, willing to carry weight. And it was just great having a part of the church there. It's just brilliant to see God bless him and his family, the church, and you know what? The best is yet to come. Well, I've been on an adventure with Jesus now for 35 years in ministry. Been a Christian a lot longer than that. And, um, yep. It's been amazing, I have to say. We started the church called Covenant Life, but we got tired of being confused as being an insurance company. <laughs> uh, the name was kind of important to us. We believe God gave us the name for the values of Covenant. But shortly after that, we changed the name to Destiny. We started with six people, and my wife, we had three kids then. Um, and it's just kept growing ever since. So one thing's led to another, and we've just crossed 1,200 churches planted. And this last week, February the 14th, we celebrated 37 years of marriage, me and my wife. Yeah. We got married on Valentine's Day. Either I'm a romantic or a cheapskate, one or the other. One bouquet of flowers, one box of chocolates. We celebrated our anniversary this time in Reykjavik in Iceland, where it was really cold. So it's lovely that it's a beautiful day today, being together. I want to just share with you for a few moments under this heading. I would like you to consider the possibility of the impossible. And turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. And chapter 14, we're going to read one of the most famous miracles that ever occurred in the Bible. It had a profound effect on the children of Israel because they kept telling us about it all the way through the Old Testament. They keep looking back to this point, so it was kind of significant. Sometimes when you think about a phrase like that, I want to consider the possibility of the impossible. Sometimes people say, well, what's the point? Because by definition, if it's impossible, it's not possible. Therefore, why consider the possibility of the impossible? Are we together? But the Bible is full of miracles. From Genesis to Revelation, it's full of miracles. And it's full of all kinds of miracles. There are miracles of healing. There are miracles of provision. The 5,000 and so on. 
there are miracles of overcoming insurmountable barriers, like this one. There are miracles of supernatural increase in growth. 3,000 added in one day. There, there, are, there are miracles of families being restored. There are, there are miracles of provision being given. You know, all the fish that they caught that day when Jesus took them fishing again. And I'm convinced that what God has made prominent in his word, he wants conspicuous in our lives. Since the word is full of miracles, that ought to be the adventure that we're on, right? That we're expecting divine intervention. And whether you've visited today and never been to church ever before, or whether you're in the pastoral team here, or leading a ministry, or leading a key ministry like compassion, God wants us to live in a dimension where we're expecting the supernatural. In the year 1899, just as it was about to turn to 1900 and therefore the 20th century, there was a world conference of Christian leaders. This is a true story. And they debated and discussed how they saw the 20th century developing. Here we are in the 21st century. And after they all presented and said their piece, they opened the floor up to comments and questions. And they asked the floor, how do you see the 20th century developing? And one young man stood to his feet and he said, I think in the 20th century we will learn to fly. And we will take journeys in hours that today take weeks. We might even discover countries unknown or even worlds not yet seen. And apparently, one bishop slammed the table and said, don't be ridiculous. If God had meant us to fly, he would have given us wings. Well, the name of that bishop was Bishop Wright. And he had two sons. Orville and Wilbur. True story. And in less than five years from that statement, the Wright brothers made history by being the now called the fathers of modern flight. Did they did they create flight? No, they didn't, because words have been flying since the creation of time. Birds have been flying from the beginning. So what, what was it that changed everything? Well, new information came their way. They, they discovered that if you made a wing a certain shape and put some power behind it, you could create the laws of aerodynamics and thrust. And so this new law that they were now understanding of aerodynamics and thrust was a greater force than the law of gravity. So the possible, or rather the impossible, became possible because of new information. New information changed everything. And so when I'm, when I'm asking you to consider the possibility of the impossible, maybe today there's some new information coming your way that will open up a new world for you. For you as an individual, for you as a ministry, for you as a church. For you as a person, as far as God's destiny concerning your life is concerned, He wants you to live in such a way where you're anticipating and expecting. Let me tell you a true story. A few years back, soon I came home one day to discover that our house had been broken into. It was a Thursday afternoon, and they'd ransacked it. We lived then on the south side of Glasgow, in a nice area, it was a really nice area. And they trashed the house. So they'd gone through every room, they'd emptied every drawer, they'd even kicked through some of the doors. It was an old Victorian house with no panelings, and they did repair and damage these doors. And so we called out the police, and then the forensics came, and they, they dusted down, and they couldn't find any fingerprints. And then he says to me, you are the fourth house in your street today. And uh, there's 
love hypocrites. We just think they're probably drug users and they're after something fast to sell it away. Hey, but here's your prime reference number. Make it a tumor screen and move on. So they left. Sue and I sat on our sofa in a mess about to clear up. But before we began to clear up, we prayed together. Because this was the third time it had happened. But not to this degree. And we said, they, the police, are saying they can do nothing. But you, God, are interested in our lives. It's all about to be happening here. This is, this, this is not what, the, what you've got in mind for us. We don't accept the situation. And so when they say it's impossible, we're asking you to do something. <coughs> and then we clean up the house. The next few days, I remember it vividly, every creeping sound at night, every squeaking gate, I jumped. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. That was pretty open. But every day thereafter, you kind of nervous, right? And it took us a few days to settle down. And the following week, it was a Monday, I was sitting in my office in the city centre, and I'm actually writing a letter to somebody. And as I'm writing this letter, God speaks to me and he says, get up, go for a walk. That's profound, isn't it? And I stopped, thought about it, and continued writing, and I heard the voice again, get up and go for a walk. And sometimes people say to me, how do you know it's God speaking to you? Well, for me, it's usually because I've started arguing back with the voice. And so I said to my PM, off out, she said, don't be long, you've got people coming. And I walked across the city. I just took a walk. I walked five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, thirty-five minutes, and thought, what am I doing? And I actually thought maybe God wanted me to meet somebody, because that's happened before. I tell you lots of stories about that. But I decided I'm going to go back. And as I stopped, I stopped outside an antique shop. I thought, I'll just come and look in here. Maybe I meant to talk to this guy. So I go in. I take a look at him. And he realizes I'm staring at him. So he looks back. This is kind of happy. She said, no, nothing. So I said, look. And as I walked around his store, I look into a cabinet, and looking back at me is my watch. <laughs> and it's not a watch you wear, it's actually an old pocket watch that had been given to me by my grandfather. And it sat in a drawer in the house, I noticed. There it is. So he sees me looking at the watch, and right next to it is some of Sue's jewelry. Looking straight back at me. So the guy says, you like that watch? I said, I do, I like it a lot. But I haven't got any money, will you keep it for me? So he said, sure. So I shot down to a police station, which is nearby. Walked in and said, my name's Mr. Owen. I live on the south side of the city. Last week we got broken into a train and I found my stuff. He went, what? My name's Mr. Owen, I live on the south side of the city. Last week we got broken into a train and I found my stuff. He said, are you sure? I said, positive, 100%. He said, sit there. I called the CID guys who came out to your house last week. So they came out, they took a statement, are you, are you sure, 100%, no doubt at all. So they said, okay, we'll come back with you, right back to our shop. We'll come in behind you, a few moments behind you, looking like customers because they're looking close. And if the guy sells you the stuff, we'll arrest him for selling stolen goods. And this is what happens. So I go back, the guy sees me coming in, he starts dropping up the watch. Then I said to him, guess what? And he says, what? I said, that's my watch and you're nicked. <laughs> and he stepped forward and arrested But he protests his innocence. Is that it? No, stolen. And then he whips out from under his counter a ledger. And he says, in fact, everything I buy gets written in here. So he flips back to the previous week. And sure enough, there's an entry. There's all the details of the stuff he bought including a watch, jewelry, and various things. And right beside it is the name of the person he bought it from. And so, one CID officer says to me, well, I guess that's the end of the train because the guy's obviously innocent. And what thieves can put him in a book? So they take a statement from the shopkeeper, and then the other guy gets on his radio, and just in case, sends a car on to the address in the book. And would you believe that? The thief put his real name and his real address in the book. <laughs> they recovered all the stuff stolen from my house, the four houses in my street, and 45 other jobs. 
between Midian and the sea, you shall camp in front of Baal Zephon opposite by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the sons of Israel, they're wandering aimlessly in the land, the wilderness is shut in them. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, he'll chase after them, and I will be honoured through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Verse 11, then he said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way? Bring us out of Egypt. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they will go in after them. I will be honored to Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. Then a little bit further down we read, then Moses stretched, verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord struck the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and turned the sea to dry land, so the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like water them on their right and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went about, went in after them into the midst of the sea. Verse 27, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. And while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it, then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots, and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army, that had gone to the sea after them, not one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked and tried out in the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a ward to them, on their right hand and on their left. And all God's people said, What a story. If we want to live in a place where divine intervention, supernatural breakthroughs are our norm, not the exception, I think there's a few things that we need to hold on to as we first one is this. You've got to make yourself lighter to lift. Lifting to what? The destiny that God's got for you. The breakthroughs that you had in mind. The growth that you always saw or see. The hopes that he's placed in your heart and in your life. The promises that he's given to you. He wants to lift you from one place into the next. But here's the truth. We have some responsibility in being those people who have chosen. I want to make myself like to lift. I, I want to make it easy for God to move me from here to here. To take me from here to here. And maybe we've not always been that way. And maybe the people around us are not that way. And I, I, I've discovered so many times that anything that God, that comes from God, that was birthed in the heaven, that lands in our heart, is always much bigger than us. And naturally speaking, we find it difficult to conceive of the possibility of the impossible because we kind of trapped in this time-space world of things that we see. And that's where we tend to live. The children of Israel were just like that. And what we noticed when we started reading is that God did not take them the direct route. He took them on a detour because these people were really hard to lift to another level. It says God himself thought if they go the direct route, there will be challenges and they are likely to turn back. I don't want them to turn back. Now we could say, 
we have some empathy with these people and some understanding, for they've been slaves for 400 years. Generation after generation didn't know anything, couldn't possess anything, couldn't make a future plan. They were under the total control of the dictators and the tyrants who ruled them. So, so 400 years, 10 generations, if you like, later, their mindset has been programmed to be, we are nothing. Or, nothing ever happens around here. They told me that for years in Scotland. Nothing ever happens around here. But we see people say every single week of the year. Sometimes we can be raised in such a way where our mindsets have been so programmed that we can think, well, God will do it for him, but not for me. I don't deserve it. Well, it's true, you don't deserve it. But there's an amazing thing in the Bible called grace, where God gives to the undeserving. And in Romans 5, 17, Paul writes and he says, as to those, to as many as receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through this one Christ Jesus, they shall reign in life. So you've got, you've got to be the candidate that's easy, that's lighter to lift. You've got to realize that there's nothing that I can do to earn it God in his grace and his love has chosen to give it to me anyway. And I'm going to be a recipient of that grace. I'm going to be persuaded to go forward. I want things to be different. I want to be open to new ideas. And that's a choice that I need to make. And we need to make that choice no matter what age or stage we are in life. I know some very old young people. They just sit around, don't do much, no expectation. It's like they're dead already. But I know some very young old people. And I keep telling our changes, the older we get, the faster I'm going. I'm not retiring, I'm refiring, so you better get ready for it. We need to have a mighty God to expect. And there's a thousand reasons why work could be different. We've not seen it before. We've never experienced it before. But I'm deciding on the inside. This is going to be different. I love being in a place with God where I wanted to challenge me on my thinking. A few years back, I was coming home to Glasgow from the United States. And for one reason or another, I can't even remember the reason, I had a direct flight from America to Birmingham and then a flight from Birmingham to Glasgow. And our flight was late coming in. And I kept on going to watch because that evening I had a really, really important meeting and I had a very special guest with us. So as soon as we touched down the building, I'm running from my gate. I'm not even bothered if my luggage makes it. I just don't get home. So I run to the, to the gate, and as I get there, the lady says, sorry, gate's closed. So I go back to the transfer desk, and said, she says the gate's closed, what time is the next flight to Glasgow? She said, there isn't one today. The next one will be tomorrow morning. But don't worry, the hotel will be paid for by the airline, it's their fault. I said, no, I have to get home tonight. I need to get on that plane. She said, the gate's closed. So I walked away. And as I'm thinking, that verse that I've just quoted comes back into my mind. To as many as receive the abundance of grace. It's just ringing in my head. To as many as receive the abundance of grace. So I go back to the desk and I say to the lady, I need to get on my plane. She said, we told you around, the gate's closed. We check you in for the flight tomorrow. So I walked away again. And all I could hear was many is received the abundance of grace. So I go back again. This is the third time I've marked the desk. I need to get on my plane. And she says, pointed to a sign behind her, you know, if you treat your staff badly, we'll kind of get arrested, kind of a sign. 
And then she says, pointing out the window on the nostrils, the airline had a big glass wall, that's your plane taxiing. It's already leaving. It's taxiing to the end of the runway. So I walked away, I looked at the plane, and I said, in Jesus' name, get back here. Because <laughs> <laughs> is receiving the abundance of grace. So I went back again. <laughs> See, making yourself like to live sometimes looks like persevering. Not giving up, pressing through, refusing to take no for an answer. And again she started shouting at me, and while she was shouting, the phone had a desk went. So she picks it up like I had a conversation. But she slowly puts the phone down. And she says, you're going to believe this. The plane has been called back to the stand for a VIP. Seeing it's coming back, and your persistence, you can get on it. <laughs> so, the plane came back to the stand. Right? The British Airways jet came back to the stand. I get on the plane, and we're all sitting waiting 10 minutes to see who this VIP is. And God Brown gets on, who was our Prime Minister at the time. And I just thought, he is so lucky I needed this flight. <laughs> Second thing I want to tell you is this. Be careful which voice you listen to. You'll have noticed from the story that we read that voices start speaking in and speaking out. And that is always the case when God wants to do something for you, in you, or through you. The first voices we heard were the people who said, why did you bring us out here today? We're not better graves in Egypt. And what did they say? Let's go back. I want to tell you something, listen carefully. You can't go back. The call of God in your life is always forwards and upwards and onwards. And let me tell you something else. Once you've seen something, you cannot unsee it. Once God has shown you something significant from the Word, you can't unsee it and live as if you never knew it. You have to go forward. You build on it. Sometimes we can't work, quite work ourselves as a movement because we have all kinds of people in to speak God, involved with us. We're not necessarily part of what we're doing. And they, they kind of look extreme sometimes. He's over here, he's over here, and we both can. That's because they're really good at something, they really understand something, and we want to learn from that and this. And so we kind of go on a journey, which is we're adding truth to truth. But we don't check out truth. We're building on it. So you can't go back. It's not an option. See, so if you are going to break in, going back is not an option. You keep pressing through. And then, there was Moses' voice. Moses' voice spoke up in this story, and he's trying to calm the people down, being the good leader that he is. He says to them in verse 13, Don't fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which you'll accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you will never see again. So his voice is saying, It's going to be okay. But there's a third voice that comes into this story. It's God himself, and he returns and speaks to Moses, and he says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to go forward. And while Moses was looking like the, the leader who's in control, in his heart, and before God, he's going, help! And so God just said, keep moving. And one of the things that I've discovered, even when it looks like you can't move, you can still move. Even when you think there's no way forward, he always makes a way forward. And at the very least, your heart is reaching forward into God, from whom your solutions and answers come. Here's another story. During the recession back in 2008, we bought a new building. We bought a bank in the middle of a recession. It had been the Clydesdale Bank's business headquarters. On Cathedral Street, Glasgow. And this is how this came about, and I want to show you what happened in it. We, we, we planted another campus, another location, back into the city. 
and they were growing and couldn't find anywhere to meet. So they were in a nightclub called the Classic Grand Jamaica Street. We really had an amazing season in that nightclub on our campus. Although we got tired of walking on Sunday morning, our feet sticking to the beer on the floor. And then I discovered that the Classic Grand used to be the number one porn cinema at Glasgow. And all kinds of stories came out from that. But there was a real grace of God in it, but we filled it. And we had nowhere to go. We just could find nowhere, nowhere to meet. And we came across this building which had been vacated, and we filmed it. And it's a four-story building, and we decided we need one floor. So we called back, and said, can we lease a floor? So she says, this lady says yes, and the deal goes to the lawyers to be signed off. Well, we never got signed off. Months go by, and the lawyers come back to me and they say, they won't return the documentation, they won't you call. So I start chasing them, we'll call the other. And while this is happening, we're still exploring, but there's nothing appearing. So one morning, five o'clock in the morning, we'll stand outside the building. I can't go forward, but I can press it to God. I said, God, what's the deal here? What, what is going on? And the Lord says to me, Why do you want to listen? You can own that. That thought hadn't even occurred to me. I thought, that would be ready to be lighted the lifting. So, I mean, long story short, I discovered that the building wasn't actually open back, it was only two cheap guys. Long story short, I managed to get their number, or one number. So, for this guy, a lovely, lovely guy called Tony Rubin, I said, Tony, you own a building in Glasgow, will you send me? He says, I don't own a building in Glasgow. I said, Yeah, you do. I've checked the landers, you own this building. And he said, No, I don't. I said, You do. He said, I'll call you back 20 minutes. He calls me, I do. <laughs> These guys own over three billion pounds of the property, we didn't know what the hell. So he then says, what's the church want with the bank? So I said to him, let's meet and I'll tell you. She said, okay. So we flew down to London to meet these guys, I've never met before in my life. And we start telling him all our vision and our plan and all the stuff we want to do. And then he says, you know, we're three generation property investors and developers, we never ever sell. We acquire. But you know what? We're selling this building for what we paid for it 20 years ago. Now, I'm standing there with no money. I don't even know what the building's worth. I'm not hard to have it. I know this one. So he says, we paid 2.2 million for it to get off of 2.2 million deal. And I thought God said, whatever he asks for, give it. If you know me, right, whatever price, if you understand me, whatever price you give me, we just start that usually at about 50%. Because it's just payment. And then we had this long conversation. How was the church going to pay for that? And it was a funny, funny story. Because I said, well, you know, the church brings tithes and offerings. And he said, well, what's a tithe? I said, you guys are Jews, right? <laughs> yeah, and you don't know what a tithe is. No, okay. See, Abraham. Who's he? Is he a developer? <laughs> I said, no, he's your ancestor. They did nothing. So in the end, I said, you guys have got a synagogue, never miss. Never miss all our lives. And then in the late 60s. But what did they teach you there? No idea, it's all in Hebrew. <laughs> so I said, well, how do you run a synagogue? And he said, that's easy. The rabbi works on what we're worth, what the annual budget is, and you just spend on January the 1st. I said, what a great way to run a church. <laughs> Long story short, we made this deal. I had any money, didn't know what the building was worth. And then his parting shot was this. You know the bank have got nine years left to run up run on that lease, they paid to get out of it. Whatever they pay, you can keep. And so we left. We went back to the church. They started giving generously. It valued beyond what we were going to pay for it, thank God. And then we went for a mortgage for the rest. We had seven mortgage deals reneged on. The recession was at its worst. We got to the point of signing back signal, signing back signal. And we really needed the check from the bank to complete this deal. Eventually I found out why the lease never went through in the first place. The person responsible for the building hated Christians. 
And when she saw a church of the sun, at least she said, I've only been born. And why do you think she hated Christians? Because her mother got offended in the church. It's amazing what offense does, huh? And the voices that could come into your life. So her mother was the one offended, speaking to her. She heard that voice and was determined to stop it from doing it. In the end, I was able to turn around and say to her, see that little move the right where I should be coming to landlords. And you'd pay the others. She offered me 180,000 pounds to settle the deal and you did 600,000. And she says, recession, bank's got the money, we're losing money, not a chance. And we got stuck again. It's like the children of Israel, the Red Sea's before us. We can't move. But you can move. You can press into God. That's movement. And so we had early morning prayers praying about this. Pressing into God. That's our forward movement. I can't complete on the building. There is no other building. This is what God's doing. We're pressing into God. That's going forward. That's why we pray. That's why we fast sometimes. That's why we come together as a church to worship. Because we're going forward. Give me an amen, somebody. This church is going forward to every good thing God's got for it. Press into Him when the other doors open. Anyway, one of these early morning prayer meetings, the guy came to me and said, I'm going to pray this morning. I felt God tell me to this mobile phone number. He was written on this tiny piece of paper. He said, this is a guy who nine years ago he used to work for the bank. But he's now moved to Australia. I've not seen him for nine years. So, thanks. I put the number in my wallet, leaving thinking this. What's a guy he hasn't seen for nine years who lives in Sydney, Australia, but I haven't been in Glasgow? How's that going to happen? Found out more about it. Two weeks later, I'm driving my car, and the Holy Spirit says to me, phone that number right this second. So I pulled the car off the air, I said, got the number. Yeah, he's still in the wall. So I start dying and think, what time is it in Australia? What am I, I going to say to this guy when I open this conversation? How am I going to introduce myself? These are the thoughts all running through my head. And he answers the phone like this. Sorry, can't talk now. Hands up. But he doesn't hang up. For whatever reason, he gives his line over. And this is what I hear. That destiny crowd in Glasgow, what is it they want? 400? 500,000, whatever it is they want, give it to them. I sat there for 20 minutes because I thought, did I just dream that? No, there's a number in the phone, I actually died that number. So I processed it for a short while and I went back to the person responsible in Glasgow. And she wouldn't even come to the phone. She didn't. Even lie, she just said to a painter that I'm a doctor. Straight up. And eventually, I persuaded her to come to the phone and she goes, What? You can accept 180,000? I said, No, you can give me 600,000 pounds. And she said, How do you work that out? I said, Call this guy and tell me. 14 days later, I had a check for 600,000 pounds. <laughs> when the voices decide that you are going to listen to God's voice, which is to keep on going. A couple of other things which are really important. Listen, what got you to here will get you to there. What got you to here? The person and the power and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. Anything good that's ever happened in this church, anything good that's ever happened to you, God the Holy Spirit is responsible. You only got sick because the Holy Spirit's gone. And maybe today you're sitting in this room wondering what life is all about. The Holy Spirit comes close to us and tells us on the inside you're lost and you need a saviour. And when you respond to that voice, salvation comes. But this story tells us that a miracle began to happen. 
Moses was instructed to lift his staff. There's a whole story about that. God told him to do But the wind begins to blow. And it says a strong east wind began to blow. And we sometimes read this miracle as if it happened like that. It didn't happen like that. It happened, it took all night to happen. And as they, as they were standing there, the wind began to blow across the surface of the sea and it parted the waters till they stood up on each side. If I was standing there, no, the Egyptians were behind me, I'd pray, God, have a go behind And of course, the way that everyone came across that concept in the scriptures, it speaks of the Holy Spirit book, as on the day of Pentecost. And sometimes, we need to just tune in to what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life and in your life, and in our corporate life. We're planning changes all over the place, in different cultures and in different countries. And they're all at different sizes. And one of the things that I've noticed is that even though we, we are very deliberate and very focused on certain principles and truths and foundations we build on, and they're uncompromising, the methods that happen are so varied. And it always comes down to what is God doing in this place or what is God doing in that place. And in one place we find there's an unusual anointing for children's ministry. We have one church in Germany that grew out of a children's church. Out of a nursery, the children's church is with two or three people. And kids. That's how it happened for them. We have another place where they really had a heart for those with addiction issues. And out of that church began to grow. It's possible that a church gets bigger. They can do all kinds of things. But oftentimes when you're starting out, it's God doing here. What's the Holy Spirit doing here? And if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not speaking in tongues, you need to be speaking in tongues. Make no mistake about it. The Bible says this gift is for you, for your children, for your children's children, and for all whom the Lord and God will come. We had over 110 children baptized in the Holy Spirit last year in Glasgow. Filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, going for it. This is for all of us. And we need God, the Holy Spirit, to perform those miracles in life, to be leading us, directing us, and we're utterly dependent upon Him. So what got you to here will get you to there. He hasn't changed. And the Bible says, He will never leave you nor forsake you. And sometimes, you know, I, I was raised with a kind of aberration in my theology. Kind of, it was a bit off on some things. And this is this is one of the things it was a bit off in God an amazing appreciation of our church I got saved so many years ago. They would say to me, Andrew, the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be holy. So when I was searching for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the moment came for me to pray for, this is what happened. Is this issue? Is that issue? We'll just stop that. We leave it for a moment, we'll go sort this thing out. And then I realized the Holy Spirit doesn't come in you because you're holy. He comes in you because you're righteous. Where did I get that righteousness from? Jesus. And then I was told, well, He's the Holy Spirit, which means He's easily offended. So if you think, say, do something, leaves, so you then have to repent to get back again. So my whole life was the hokey-cokey. He's in, out, in, out, and sometimes he shake you all about. That was my whole life, but nothing ever happened. And it dawned on me. He'll never leave me, not for sake. I preach a message sometimes, just going, when you're wrong, you're right. Because God's committed and I read this story. These people didn't want to go on this journey, but God was committed to them anyway, to bring them through. And the whole, this, the Holy Spirit is committed to you, the leadership of this church, and the destiny that He's got in mind. And He will not give up until you come through and do all that He's got for you. So don't you give up. We need that whole precious Holy Spirit. Finally. 
staff over the waters of the Red Sea and closed them up. Can you imagine if Moses hadn't done that? You could probably go to Egypt today and say, you know, this is the ninth wonder of the world, these are the walls of water, they stand here because Moses forgot to close them. But if he hadn't closed them, those Egyptian high command elite troops would have pursued them into their destiny. Would not have let them go any further. And the devil doesn't want you to take around easily. Personally or corporately, he will contest every step. So you have got to be, to be determined to outlast the devil. But that means trusting God implicitly. And so God said to Moses, close the waters up. And if, humanly speaking, he was standing there, he could look out and think, what? All those long mileage went on their chariots. And it says, there were 600 of Egypt's best Phantom Rolls Royce chariots. And Moses could have thought, you know what? We've got a long way to go. We could really use those chariots. We could really use those chariots. And we promised to tie them. I think if, he, if Moses had been an English person, he'd have looked out and thought, never mind the people, what about the horses? All those horses that we drowned. But there was a judgment necessary. And you see, I've discovered that when we want to make the impossible possible, we have to live at this cutting edge of not being afraid of making certain decisions and trusting God in the decisions he asks us to make. One of my, one of my most favorite meetings ever is always water baptisms. I love water baptisms. Because to me that's a mark, a line being drawn in the sun. But what are they doing? Water baptism is hugely important because you say, from this point forward, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. Amen. And it's the foundation. I got baptized in water in 1973. But every day I build that foundation. What am I building? It's not my choice, it says. And I trust him, that's it. That what he has in mind is better even than what I could choose for myself. I trust him implicitly. And so Moses raised the staff. Do you know what? 2,000 years ago, God looked out on his son hanging on the cross and raised the staff over him. Every human emotion would say, How can I do that? But there was a bigger driving factor for God so loved the world. And as he raised his staff over his own son and cut him off on that fateful day, Sin was judged forever. And we could be set free. I heard a story of a train that was traveling full of passengers. And as you looked into the carriages, they were talking and they were chatting and others was, were partying and others were conferencing and the train was hurtling on its journey. And ahead of it was a cavern, a, a deep crevasse, which could only be spanned by a swing bridge. The story says that there was a guard whose responsibility it was to open and close the bridge. On this particular day, he had taken his son with him to work and they were enjoying their friendship together. When he looked out the window and saw the train hurtling at speed with the bridge wide open, so he decided he must close this bridge. And as he went to close the bridge, he looked down and his own son had been caught up in the machinery. He wanted to rescue his son but if he was to rescue his son, the bridge would stay open. The story says with a cry of anguish, he pulled the levers, and his son got caught up in the machinery, crushed, and the bridge closed. The people, they traveled safely, unaware of price that had been paid for their deliverance and their salvation. The starting point of all impossible encounters is coming to know Jesus. That's what he's done for you. There's lots of people I don't know in this room today. But 
But you know what? I appreciated Simeon more. It's possible you as yet don't know God personally. But Jesus has died the price for you. You have the biggest miracle of all. New birth! As he comes and lives inside you. And takes you on an adventure. Seeing him at work at every turn. Now there'll still be red seas. And there'll still be challenges. But the thing belongs. God gets to work with you to bring you through to every good thing. Come, let's pray together. Close your eyes, me. You know what I'm asking you to do? Would you stretch out your hand and hold hands with someone beside you? If there's a few gaps between you and the next person, just move along the seat and just hold hands with the person beside you. Good being family, isn't it? Good being connected together. Good to text somebody and say, hey, I'm not alone. God, just hold hands with me. We're going to pray. Yes. 
Christ to your hand. Give me a wave because I'm doing this from my hand this time. Right back there, over there, over there, over there. Anywhere else? Somebody squeezed your hand. Give me a wave. Give me a, give me a real good wave. Brilliant. Fantastic. God, over this room. Praise God. Come on, children. Appreciate you. Watch the wave. Great grace. 
on his house and all that he endeavors to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, that's the list of guys.